Ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. I'm Dusty Slay. I'm here with my wife and co-host, Hannah Slay. Giddy up. And uh, we're uh, we're excited to be here. It's a Thursday morning. Uh, we have Daisy watching TV and Sam is asleep for now. And we're here. We're happy to be here. Uh, it's a, been a fun week. Um uh, I went last weekend. I went to Columbus, Ohio, which is somewhere I go every year to the Columbus Funny Bone, and it was great. Um, I had uh, a host this year, uh, Zach Wyckoff, a guy I've gotten to know over the last few years. I think I, the first time I ever uh, headlined Go Bananas in Cincinnati, the first and only time I headlined Go Bananas in Cincinnati, it was Zach Wyckoff's very first hosting weekend. So we've been on this journey together. Uh, and then I also had featuring for me my old friend, Derek Humphrey. Uh, it's pretty exciting, you know, because me and Derek are, you know, we're on similar journeys, but Derek went the New York City route. So he works a lot of the rooms in New York City. And uh, I moved to Nashville to work the road. But, you know, we there's a poster we shared uh, of me and Derek doing a show together. And we have lots of posters. That's not the only one, but we have the one of us doing comedy probably somewhere around 2010. So it's pretty exciting to be doing comedy with someone way back then. And, you know, and, and we're still doing it. It is exciting to have retain a friendship with someone for that long. Yeah. How do you do it? Well, we live in completely different cities and uh, don't talk to each other that often. (laughs) (laughs) But see, when I do that, I just lose the friendship. Now, we do have a text chain going. And Mm. I find with friendships, I find like it's like people that don't live near me. I don't feel like when I talk to them, I'm like, let's get caught up. What have you been up to? I just try to like, start talking to them like we just talked to each other yesterday. Yeah. I feel like that's a big part of the problem with a long distance friendship is that when you don't talk for a while, you like, you want to get caught up. You're like, um, you know, what have you been up to? How's it been going? It's like, yeah, you can say a little bit of that, but you know, it's like, You can't go too far in that terrain because then they're like, well, my dad died. Didn't hear anything from me on that. And I got kicked out of my apartment and lost my job. But I see that you're doing well, Dusty. Well, that's also uh, a problem. Like you can't have the expectation of friends uh, of your friends that they're just supposed to know about everything going on in your life. Like I had a friend who uh, after my I ruptured my appendix, uh, he called me and he was real offended. Now we talked and it's fine, uh, but he was real offended that I did not contact him for this near death experience that he had. He got crushed by some power equipment and it was awful, but I had no idea. And he was acting like, oh, you never called me when I, I was in the hospital. I'm like, dude, I had no idea. I'm so sorry to hear it. I had no idea. It's like you can't hold those kind of expectations on people, you know, because 
we're not living, you know, it's like we're not living in these small communities anymore. We're all spread out. We're all we're in the globally connected network, but uh, but less connected in a lot of ways than ever. More connected, but less um, deeply connected. Yes. You know, so I, I feel like you can't have those kind of expectations on, on people like I didn't go to Derek's wedding. But I don't even know that Derek invited me because Derek was like, he checked with me on the date and it's like, he knows I work weekends, you know? And it's hard, it's like, when people invite me to a wedding, it's like, dude, it's like, you're gonna have the wedding on Saturday? Like, I already have a show planned and people have already bought tickets. It's not just one show either. It's not like I'll go, all right, I'll just cancel the Saturday show. A lot of times the way I work, Saturday is two shows, but I'll also have two shows Friday and maybe one show on Thursday. So I'll have to cancel the whole weekend. So there's potentially, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people um, that I'm canceling on to come see you get married um, when I can just send you a gift and see you later. Do you think you've lost any friends for not going to weddings? Uh, probably to some degree, but probably um, they think that I'm not their friend because I didn't come. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here here's what I think defines someone that's cool is if you don't talk to them for a while and then you run into them again and the conversation is just good and chill. Not yeah. awkward or passive aggressive or giving you some kind of lip about not talking to them. If someone can just pretend and not care that you haven't cared about them for a while, that's the kind of person I want to hang out with. Well, that's who I am. I can do that with people I don't like. You know what I mean? That's what makes you cool cat, <laughs> yeah. dude. Well, it's like, you know, it's like we can all have our issues with people, right? But don't. there's no need to like... Uh, make it their problem that you have an issue with them. Yeah. I mean, I had a girlfriend a couple years ago, like be like, Oh, I've had a really tough summer and you haven't been texting me. And I'm like, listen, I am not 19 years old. I can't take out hours of my day to have a text chain with you over a breakup. Okay. I'm an adult. I don't care. And if you want to talk about it, why don't you come over and have a beer with me in the afternoon at my house? Well, that is the thing. Sometimes a, you know, like text is really great for a quick conversation. For people that don't have families or a job that takes up their time. I mean, people that can just sit around for minutes on end and text. Well, I think it's great for a quick, quick conversation. But okay. if you're really needing to hammer something out, it's like, let's get together. Because it's like, in that situation, it's not that I don't care that this is going on with you. It's that... Uh, I can't give you the attention it requires. We, we need to do this in a different format. Yeah. Come on over. Let's talk. I can't just text with you for a long time. And texting is hard with kids. Yeah. So, especially for I don't you. even I don't even text people anymore because I'm like if they respond to me within 2 minutes, 
they're going to expect me to respond right away and we'll need to be in some kind of conversation. So even if I want to be like, hey, what's up? How, how you doing? How was your weekend? I'm like, I can't even commit to that conversation right yeah. now without looking like, you know, as they say, you texted them and threw your phone in the ocean. Yeah. Well, it is true. It's hard. Um, I get in that sometimes, not necessarily with text, but like uh, Facebook Messenger or Instagram Messenger. I try to be good about responding to people, even people that I don't know that are just fans of my comedy. I try to be good about responding, but sometimes I'll not check those for a while and then I'll try to go through all at once, especially Facebook. I'll try to go through all at once and like respond, but then I respond and then like they respond again and i'm like and i'm almost like back to where i was at where i was like i try to get caught up and respond to everyone and now i'm like i just have new replies to respond to you're in the weeds and it's like you know i feel you know in my situation i feel blessed that people want to reach out to me that i don't know but it is hard to keep up with those things yeah it's so hard to keep up with multiple relationships in a meaningful way Yes. Which is why it's just easier to be lonely in a sense. Well, there was some number and I, I just, and I don't know if it's true, but there was some number that's like, there's a, I forget the number, but there's a certain number of people that each person is, is capable of handling. Yeah. And that's the kind of communities we should live in because any more people than that, you actually can't have relationships with them. And, and it's heartbreaking because, you know, throughout my life, I've had many meaningful relationships and great uh, deep friendships and shared tons of laughs with people. But then, you know, life continues and they continue and I continue and our life weaves into these, you know, desperate directions that we never could have predicted. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't really have time to care for this person anymore. Yeah, I mean, people, you hope they get it. People just got to be cool. Like I have yep. friend, I have some friends. Uh, I can think of one guy in particular. We've been friends since I was in second grade, and we don't see each other very often. We don't actually physically talk all that often, but when we do, but we do send each other memes and stuff. Mm -hmm. And and when we do talk, we're able to just jump back in, be like, "Can you believe this BS going on in the world right now?" You know, and we can get right back into it. We don't need to recap our relationship. We've already established that we're friends. I have several friends that I grew up with that are like that. I have a guy Whenever I'm in Opelika, I usually try to go by his house and hang. You know, I don't see him that much. We don't text a lot. But when I do, I go over there and hang. We spend a couple hours hanging out in the shed in his backyard. And uh, it's a great time. I love that. I love that, you know, you have the courage to just dip back into people's lives without being like, you know, I'm going to be here for you, brother. Because you might not be here for him when he needs you. Yeah, I mean, and I don't even claim to be that kind of person. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know, if you do need help, reach out to me. And if I can, I'll help you. But yeah. I may not be able to. Well, I discovered a few years ago that it was unhealthy for me to have like a really, really super like BFF, deep, deep female relationship because I would really just have the one girl and not have tons of other friends. So I made a point in my life a couple of years ago to have lots of friends, but very superficial friendships. And I love it. Okay. Because you're just out here having laughs. Yeah. Instead you of, do have a couple of good friends. I have, oh, yeah, I have a couple of good friends, but I don't need it 
to be deep. If they want to make it deep, they can make it deep. But I'm out here being like, let's just talk about memes or let's talk about recipes or let's have a drink or two. Let's trash talk a neighbor. Let's get into, you know, and I feel like I should have done that years ago. Just have a bunch of really light, easy relationships instead of these intense one-on-ones that I thought I needed to have. Well, that is what I like about taking my own features on the road and not just getting paired up with people is like my features are now like my friends. So I get together with them on the weekends we're working together. I don't have the same person every weekend. I have a few people that I take. And, you know, on that weekend, we're working together. We're hanging. We're friends. And then, you know, I I go back home and I hang with my family. Mm -hmm. I don't. Um, where my wife is my friend. Hey. And we do a podcast together. Hey. And, uh, you know, and, and my kids are fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of friend though, that'll turn on you real quick in this friendship. Yeah. But. I don't, I mean, I don't know that you turn on me, (laughs) but yeah, he'll make it not a friendship real quick. Yeah. Uh, I'll be a real difficult person. But um, so that so but the shows in Columbus were great. I had uh, four shows. Really good. Um, I like that club. I like the people there. Uh, It's very fun. Columbus, Ohio. I've been there many times. A lot of people came back um, that say they've been there three or four times to see me. The Jewel of Ohio. It is really great. I, I first time I went there, I opened for Chris Frangiola way back in the day, and it was so such a hot show, hot weekend, and um, yeah, I mean, you really I, peaked at featuring, huh? I you, don't. You were so. like the feature. Oh well, I don't. You know. were really good at featuring. Though. I was good at featuring, but people never would bring me on the road to feature. I think because you were like too good at featuring. My one friend, uh, Chris Killian, that's the only guy that yeah. would take me on the road with him to feature. Yeah. Uh, in the clubs. Now I did do a, a, a few shows with Burt Kreischer on his first theater tour, um, and he did offer that to me uh, organically after featuring for him at um, at Lexington. Uh, comedy off Broadway, but Chris Killian, yeah, I mean Chris Killian, that's the only guy that ever took me on the road as a feature. Yeah, we never, we we don't know why he didn't get asked by more people to feature, but my theory is like you're a little bit too unique, which is a good quality in a stand-up, and too funny, and uh, you jokes are like they're just it's just like you would stand out against a headliner. Yeah, I mean, no one would ever uh, uh, offer to take me on the road. But you would crush. You would just, I mean, in 25, 20 to 30 minutes, you would just like, people would be talking about you after the show and stuff. I mean, even if they're, even if it's a famous person, you know, you know, people out here thinking headliners are just crushing all the time. They're not. Yeah, they are and, not. And it, it that is something to think about for, for comics, like featuring. It's like... Um, it's like the headliner. I mean, I don't mind if my head, my feature crushes, but you know, if you're crushing too much and after the show, everybody's talking about you and not the headliner, 
the headliner's not going to want to take you. No. I mean, even as confident in my own comedy and my own uniqueness as I am, if I start taking someone and they start like, because it doesn't even mean they're better than you. But, but this is what happens. The audience expects to see the headliner. They know what they're getting with the headliner. They don't expect the feature. So if the feature comes out and they're crushing, and I don't mean one or two people say, hey, I liked you better than the headliner. That's going to happen. It, that's fine. But if everybody starts being like, dang, you are great, man. You're the best. You're awesome. There ain't gonna That headliner ain't going to want to take you. And that's just the truth. Yeah. You had a story about somebody. You don't have to say their name, but they were opening for uh, Russell Peters. Peters. Yeah. And that you knew the guy, right? And, yeah. And he he, went, he got asked to open for Russell Peters, and he just went out and just crushed. Yeah. And then he never got asked back. Yeah. Because, yeah, people don't want to be showed up. Why? Why right? would you bring somebody on the road with you if they're going to make you look bad? And I've told that to certain people before that have asked me to feature. I go, listen, you're a great comic and you got a different energy than me. And I said, I don't want to have to follow that every night. I, I said, you're very funny, but I don't want to have to follow what you're doing. I like a, all my features that I like to take are, are low energy people. And I like that because I'm low energy. I want to keep the energy low. Yeah, and all those headliners out here being like, no, I always hired the best feature to crush in front of me because that makes me work harder. Good for you. Yeah. Aren't yeah. you a hero? Yeah. Good for you. You should get a trophy. Yeah, I'm working hard enough out here. Uh, I don't want every show to be like, I got to really step it up. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's like I'm never going out on stage being like, I'm going to wing it. I never do that. I never go, I'm going to, what do I say? Uh, uh, what do they say? Uh, phone it in. Yeah, I'm never going to, I'm never going, oh, I'm just going to phone this one in. Because sometimes you would think that a headliner, like in Columbus, we had three shows that were basically sold out. And then one show was a pretty light turnout. It was a late show Friday. And you would think that would be the show where you're like, I'm just going to phone it in. But that's the show you have to work the hardest because it's the smallest audience. Uh, chances are people are less invested. And they've already lost respect for you because they're at the show <laughs> where no one's at. Yeah. And they're like, wow, we thought this guy was more successful than this. Look at me spending my night with this loser. Right. So you got to, you almost got to bring it harder. I don't know if that's what they were thinking. Sorry to add that last part in. It seemed unnecessary. But then you almost got to bring it harder for the small audience because also, each person, each laugh is important at that point. You you want a comedy show that's full enough to where if you don't laugh at a joke, the headliner doesn't notice. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But Columbus is a huge club. I mean, it really is a big club. I think it's about 400 seats and two, uh, a balcony. And that's a big club. Listen, there's nothing wrong with where you're at right now because you're in a good place and you don't need to front like you're just out here sweeping audiences away, just turning people away. Like, it's like, let's just be real with with wherever we're at in life, everybody. Like, you don't have to pretend you're a millionaire. You don't have to pretend that you're struggling. Like, you're just where you are. 
Well, yeah. And, you know, I've always liked that. I mean, one of my favorite things back in the day was to show the places I was performing and show how bad they were. Yeah. And uh, people would be like, don't do that. It does not make you look good. And I'm like... I'm not necessarily trying to look good. I'm trying to show you what I'm doing out here. I like to show the grind. Now, I'm not grinding so hard these days because, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm out here doing shows every weekend. But as far as like the kind of shows me and you used to do where we'd, you know, we'd drive up to Wisconsin and then drive all over the state going a, a different room each night, not quite knowing what get, you'd be walking into. You know, yeah, the kinds of places that sends a 33 year old woman into a mental breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. We would go to like, like we went up to Wisconsin one time and the first room was a place called the Enchanted Barn, mm. which was really great. It was like an old uh, barn and they, they did a lot of weddings there, but they decided they wanted to do some comedy and. Uh, I don't know if it was that night after the show or if we got there a night early. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they had, we just sat around and we had pizza out of a wood. Kombucha. Yeah, and kombucha and pizza out of a wood. What is it? It was lovely. And it was just. Wood fire, yeah. Yeah, and they had a a guy playing music out there and it was like really great. Yeah, and the owner really kind of wined us and dined us on kombucha. Yeah, and it was so fun. And then the next day, uh, we drove up to a place not quite too far from there. Oh, yeah, and that, he let us stay at his barn that night Yeah, um, for that show, too. But it was like a bowling alley uh, or something. It was like a restaurant, and they had a back... Oh, it was a movie theater. The back room used to be a movie theater, and they took us back there, and then the microphone didn't really work, and it took a while to get that fixed. And then that show was pretty good, though. You remember that girl was there with her dog, and her dog had, like, an Instagram page, and she was, like, she had moved to L.A., and she was talking to us out back. And then uh, then the next day, we drive out to this bar, uh, like a hotel bar, where they had, uh, the comedy was in a conference room, and there was no stage. We're just kind of standing out on the floor, uh, and I loved it. We, I did so many with you and without you, just hotel conference rooms in nondescript, in the process of being abandoned small towns with people that did not want to hear my comedy um, just from looking at me. And I would either win them over or painfully do 25 minutes to lukewarm contemptful uh laughter and that gnaws at your soul after a while it does you really even like close your eyes to say a good portion of that because (laughs) i mean it's like it was like you were really digging deep you close your eyes for a long time uh while you were saying that because I have to retrieve the memory from my mind because I've chosen to block it out. And I had to block it out. Otherwise, it just haunts you. It like can. I, it, it made me go and it just, it just, I went somewhat insane for like a year and quit comedy and never returned. So it's like, you know, there's a darkness in that. Yeah, there's a couple of ways it can go, really. I mean, probably a few ways it can go. Like for me, um, it really molded and shaped the way that I do comedy. I was 
when I was living in Charleston, I had a very slow delivery. And I'm still pretty slow, but if you saw some of the old videos, I'm talking a very slow Stephen Wright, Mitch Hedberg type thing, where I would just go real slow. And, you know, I was trying to go for a real kind of hipster vibe. And then, you know, you just start working the road out here like that. And you're like, all right, I got to pick it up. I got to go faster because these audiences are not down with what I'm doing. I know I'm funny, so I got to pick it up. And then, you know, you just start picking it up. And then one day you throw on a hat to be funny. And you're like, oh, this is who I am now. And uh, yeah, my hat was the whole fact that I was a Canadian living in the South. Yeah, that was my hat. And I got sick of wearing that hat. Yeah. And some people just straight up looked at me like I was a foreigner immigrant and they didn't like it. I mean, and the, I'm all projecting. I don't know like what they were thinking of me. And, and and I had a lot of good times, but the travel was made me weary. Oh, yeah. Made me weary. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, uh, a lot that goes into it that people don't realize. It's like, you know, especially now I'm flying everywhere and I get frustrated with flying. Obviously I've been talking about it more and more. And every, every time I go away for the weekend, I call Hannah and complain about something that went on, but it's just like, I just think that's natural when you do anything so many times, you just have complaints about it. There's a, it's like the airport is like my work. It would be like me coming home from work and being like, can you believe uh, Donna said this today? But instead, it's just different airports all across the country. And the TSA is my coworkers that and they keep feeling me up. Yeah. You, know? you ain't getting no respect. But yeah. you keep showing back up. Yes. And you don't have a choice. And you don't have a choice. There's no nothing you can do. And I've started doing uh, carry on bags instead of checking my bags. Uh, but I think I'm going back to checking the bags. I mean, at both so many times they open my bag now, they pull my bag to the side and they got to check it. And you know what they find every time? It's my Bible. They find my Bible in there and they go, oh, and they just, as soon as they see it, they go. It's just like something flags them about that. I said, I go, yeah, that's the power of God in there. Got, they got flagged. That's what I say. They, to do they think you're using it as like a decoy or something to like if you were a criminal, like carrying a Bible to make you look better? I don't know because they they won't say because I asked the guy last time I go, what do you what's what's setting the machine off? I said, I'm I'm new to not checking a bag and I want to pack in a way that's not setting off the machine. And he, he they have no answers. And I'm like, all right, well, what are you even looking for? What did you hope to find? They don't know the drugs in your other pocket, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they, I don't even think that's it. I think they're looking for weapons and bombs and things like that. Um, and maybe harder drugs. I don't know what they're looking for, but, um, uh, but yeah, so, but when you, when you, when you're traveling, like, especially driving, what we used to do is drive everywhere and we would drive everywhere. I mean, I know comics, they're getting started in comedy. They're, they're, they're coming out of the open mic scene and they're starting to do gigs and they get offered a gig somewhere. And I was like this in the very beginning, but you, you gotta, you gotta push it down where you go. All right, I'll drive. Uh, that'll be a nine hour drive there. Uh, I'll stay for two nights. They'll pay for my hotel and then they'll give me $270 and you go, well, that's not worth it. That's not worth it for the money. So I'm going to say no to it. Um, and then if that's a booker, 
that's booking you, the moment you say no to the booker, the booker pushes you down at the bottom of the list. You want to be the yes guy. You want to be the guy that's always saying yes. It's going to feel like you're being used and abused, but what you're doing is getting stage time. It's not about the money. You got to figure out a different way to supplement your income, but we would drive all over. It's going to feel like the bookers are laundering money, but it's probably because they are, but yeah, but you got to not worry about what the bookers doing. What you got to, what you got to understand is you are trying to get stage time. The only way you can get better at comedy is if you get stage time. But this is now what I say to you, because you have given this advice to many standups who either stay in Nashville or just move to the coast. And I say to you, because it was my own personal experience, I don't think many people are cut out for that lifestyle. Like they're just like, I wasn't like, I did what you told me to do for three years and I broke down. Like it's psychologically not okay for people to live like that. Because if you don't sleep good or you're drinking too much coffee and you're traveling like that, you can't sustain yourself. Well, it's a very hard lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, you know, only the strong survive out there. That's right. And, and I'm weak and I'm not afraid to admit it. And you got to you got to hang in there, you know, you got to that's why you got to not drink. Hang in there till what? Until it starts to get better. Does it get better for everybody? Well, no, it's not going to get better for everyone. <laughs> so then why why do it then? Because you need you to You don't see. know if you're if you're better off doing the road, if you're better off going to a coast well, and trying to get spotted well, on your 5 minutes. Well, that's, you know, that's your own that's your own choice, but if you choose to work the road, then that's what it is and you got to work it until it gets better for you mm -hmm. and it may not get better for you but that's what you got to find out you have to face the reality that there's two ways it can go you can either get better gigs and things take off or you work your way to the middle and you just continue to work the road because there's almost always going well, to be road gigs there, there's there's lots of different paths i mean you can, you know, just working the road will is going to make you a better comic. If you're focusing on it, it is going to make you a better comic. If you're if you're focusing on what you're doing, you're continuing to write. You're not just trying to crush every time. You're trying to write new material. Then you will get better. And then, you know, you can post your clips on the Internet now. I mean, that wasn't even a thing when I was working. the Or road. me. Yeah, I mean, you can post your clips on the internet now and you can start to pick up internet fame that way and you can build a following. I mean, if I had had the type of camera equipment I have now and the internet was the way that it is for posting clips when I was working the road with Chris Killian, I mean, who knows what would have happened for me faster because so many of those rooms were bad and you end up just riffing and you end up just doing crowd work. I mean, I've done crowd work uh, for almost entire sets before, and I don't even do crowd work. But you just have to because you're just trying to survive out there, and it makes you better, and it makes you stronger. And if you can just hang in there, then you will get better. Hannah was getting better. I mean, Hannah has all these complaints about it, but Hannah was getting better. She was getting lots of gigs. She had so many, she had too many gigs. That's why she quit because she was like, I'm so overworked and I'm tired. And it's like, it does get better, but you got to hang in there. 
and you got to do other work. People want to act like the internet's not important. They're like, I'm just a, I'm just a comedian. I don't, I don't mess around with the internet. And it's like, well, that's the business now. You got to mess around with the internet. You got to be on all of it. Be on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. There's others you probably should be on, but those are the big four. You got to get comfortable with selling out, dude. You got to get comfortable with selling yourself, selling yourself. You got to get comfortable with putting yourself out there. Be like, I'm good at what I do. Look. Yeah. Look. And if you can't handle reading the comments, don't read them. But I say read them. And whatever they say about you, uh, you decide whether it's true or whether it's not true. And then you you figure out how to be better than it. Or you can spend all day responding to them like you do. Well, I don't spend all day responding, but, you know, I, I, I get in there. What did that guy say to you the other day that made him that uh, he was going to write something to you and then you, he didn't? Oh, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had saved that screenshot. Maybe I did. Um yeah, I mean, I don't spend all day. No, I mean, I am uh, exaggerating. Yeah, but you'll get in there. You're not. You're not only afraid of them, not afraid of them. The comments you want to make them afraid of you. Well, I, I you're lost preemptively it. trying to get people afraid to troll you, which is honestly pretty cool well that's what i but that's basically what the guy said was i was gonna he said i was watching those nate land videos and i was gonna respond with something negative to you and then i was reading that you were responding to people and i was like i'll just keep this to myself yeah and it's like well yeah there's no need like people feel like they need to come on and be negative there's no need to be negative i even do it sometimes i like to you know, sometimes I troll people. I follow a lot of these good news uh, Instagram sites where it'll be just, they'll just be sharing positive stuff. Sometimes I I comment negatively on Dusty. There. Well, like this one this one comment was like this one video was like I was talking about this guy who worked for you know he worked his whole life he had no family so he spent his life savings sending fifty people to college. And I, I just commented, I'm sorry you wasted his money like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not good news to me. I know they're sharing it like it's good news. And I know he thinks he did something. But he sent 50 people uh, to, you know, dye their hair blue and yell at their parents. Mm. You know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's what happened. That joke's just for you. Yeah. <laughs> it is just for me. Uh, but sometimes people get real mad at me about stuff like that. Yeah. You know? And uh, I, I'm okay with it. Well, because you're bringing in a little bit of the negative onto a site that has said, I'm going to try to be positive in this cesspool of the internet. Yeah. And, and you're I, saying, nah, try again. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and people do it to me too. But I, I'm like, I'm not mad at people that comment. But one guy commented the other day. He goes, he goes, this, he's, he goes, those guys faker than his act. That's what he said. It's a video of just me. And he goes, those guys faker than his act. And I was like, how many people do you see on this video? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and he goes, just one solo jackass. And I go, okay, well, I just want to make sure that you weren't seeing double and that it is that you just can't spell, you know? Yeah, you got him. And then he kept going. He goes, well, a lot of people out here, we're actually working hard and we're having to text, we're having to type this stuff out in between uh, jobs and we got grease all over our hands, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm like, you know, we just kept going back and forth to, to eventually I go, you don't really have a job, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're saying you got grease all over your hands, but yet you keep responding. People love trying to get you on not being like raised in poverty or you're not really blue collar. Yeah. They love to get you on that. Yeah. Like, like if you show any sign of uh, nice shoes or having a nice truck or something, all of a sudden you're a fake. Yeah. Like your whole childhood is just some lie yeah, that like, you've done my, to brand yourself. Yeah, it's like, look at my backyard. I'm still pretty redneck. You are pretty redneck. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, people expect you just to just to live the just same be some way. Toothless idiot. Yeah, I haven't lived in a trailer, you know, in twenty years. Uh, but I uh, can still talk about it and yeah. tell jokes about it and understand that world. Yeah, just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Hey, I got something I think we need to get into. All right, could I do um, this comedy thing? This one comedy. This this comment I got. Mm-hmm. Um. And we'll talk about that a little bit before we get off the comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's literally your podcast. I'm just here to make it be produced. This was sent to me uh, by another comedian. And they were asking, they said they didn't care if I use their name, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, um, but she has asked, um, um, as someone who has done late night spots and other industry recordings, can you offer me any advice on how to manage nerves and execute a big opportunity? Oh, she wrote better than I read. Um, all right, let's start over. As someone who has done late night spots and other industry recordings, can you offer me any advice for how to manage nerves and execute in big opportunity moments? I'd appreciate any wisdom you share. Um, she says, this isn't usually an issue for me, but at certain times it creeps up and in New York city, the opportunities are coming at a new level for me. And I'd like to be able to manage my mentality around them at a higher level. Um, and I think it's a great question because, you know, I, uh, talking about all this that we've talked about, I've chose not to move to the coast, not to move to the big cities and I work the road. And I feel like I uh, my comedy is very good, and I feel like I can hang with anyone, um, big city or not. Uh, but uh, maybe not Bruce Bruce, but um, who's very funny. Uh, but uh, when I go to the big cities and I do the cool clubs, like if I go to L.A. and I do the L.A. Improv or the time I did the comedy store or if I do the comedy cellar in New York City or when I did Joe Rogan's club, The Mothership in Austin just recently, um, I always get nervous. They always make me nervous. Even just doing some hipster room in Brooklyn um, makes me nervous because this is the cool rooms. These are the cool people. Um you know, and it's like, I'm like, and when I did the Comedy Central thing in, um, uh, what is that place in, in LA that, um, uh, the real hipster area, uh, some kind of the lake, creek in the crave, some kind of lakes, 
um, it's an area of town, Silver Lake. Uh, I did uh, a thing there. But yeah, the Creek in the Cave is also another example. Just cool clubs. I don't even know if that, that might close down. Renowned clubs that people go to. And it's like, when I go there, I get really nervous because I'm like, I, the audience is one thing, but it's just like, I just don't want to to roll into the cool club and be like a, a, a road comic. And then people be like, this guy's a hack. Some kind you know? of yokel. Exactly. I want to be like, look, I can hang. Okay. I mean, I can do comedy for anyone. So there's a couple of ways that I do it. I mean, some way is to, you know, you, and this is me and her went back and forth in this, and this is kind of her words, uh, after I described what I do, but you just develop some kind of mental hype man, almost where you almost make people in the audience, the enemy, you almost make the people around the enemy where you're like, you, you tell, you go, even if it's not true, you say to yourself, I'm better than anybody in this room. I'm the best comic here right now. You know, you just kind of hype yourself up where, where you stay humble because you, you obviously, you're like, I know that that's not true. I'm not the best in here. I'm not better than everyone in here. But you need some kind of psychological hypeness yeah. to get yourself to be like, to get pumped up. You're like, no, I'm the best comic in here. They're lucky to have me here. You know, you say those sorts of things to get yourself fired up. You're like a boxer in the corner and your trainer's in there and you're like, you're untouchable. Nobody can stop you. These you know? city folks are about to have a slice of real America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get yourself pumped up and you go, you know, and if they don't like it, F them. You know what I mean? You say stuff like that in your head. Um, And then you, but you, but you remain calm. You remain cool. And another thing that I like to do, especially when it's a short set, like a tonight show, like if I'm doing the tonight show, you get five minutes. There's no, and I got five minutes of material that I have written down word for word and told them that I'm going to say. There's no time to make a mistake. There's no room to go, oh, they're not into this joke. Let's go a different direction. If you go out to do the Tonight Show and they're not liking the joke you're doing, well, you know what? Too bad. You can't switch it up. If I'm doing an hour for you in Columbus, Ohio, and you don't like a joke, the next joke I do will be different uh, to try to get you on board. And I can even stop and address that the joke wasn't good or didn't work. Uh, But not on The Tonight Show. You just move forward. And it's like, so the best thing that I do is I I get super prepared. I know that set. Even though I may know the material going in, now it's compacted into this five-minute bit. So I learn that so well. Every show that I do from the time I I learn that I'm doing The Tonight Show until I do The Tonight Show, I open with that five minutes. I know that five minutes backwards and forwards. I could do it in my sleep. That way, there's no way I'm going to make a mistake out there on stage and 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 practicing it every show I do leading up to the tonight show lets me know if it's going to be good is this good to open with and then you still don't know because you're you're you know I'm doing comedy in the south and the midwest and uh, Arizona and you know uh, you know Washington state and now I'm in New York City uh, doing this five minutes which is a completely different crowd um 
But you, but you know, I find that the nerves, you don't fight the nerves, you embrace the nerves. And then when you get out on stage, those nerves turn to adrenaline because you're like, all right, now it's game time. Nerves is what you feel before you're like, I'm about to get out there. I'm about to get out there. I'm about to get out there. And then when you get out there, it's like, it's game time now. Now you got to kill them. Now is the time. And my energy is not, I'm not coming at you hard. But it's like, you know, you, you, you focus. The charm is coming at yeah. you hard, though. Yeah. The essence of Dusty is unleashed. Yes. And you fo- yes, and you focus on being like, all right, what's our game plan? How are we going to do this? What are we doing? Um, and then even if, Maybe you know. Maybe dial up that southern accent just a little bit. Yeah, just a touch. You just know what I mean? Just a little bit. And take a little extra time. Don't feel like you got to rush into it. Mm-hmm. When I did the first tonight show, I mean, I feel like I was out there for 20 seconds before I even got into jokes. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, all right. You know what I mean? You got to like bring them to you. Mm. Don't, don't, don't make them, don't make, don't let the audience think they run you. Trust your star power yeah trust it it's just there you don't need to turn it on or off it's just living with you your name is dusty yeah i mean just yeah you just you bring you you let them come to you Mm -hmm. you don't go out and go i gotta get them i gotta get them you go nah they they'll get it they gotta get you yeah they got to get you. They got to decide if they are ready for you. Yeah. And the thing that you have to bring is you have to bring funny jokes. Mm. Like that's all you have to do. Just be funny. Mm-hmm. Now, does this get easier? Like the longer you do it, like, are you, are you more familiar with this process? Cause you're like, Ooh, I feel nervous, but that's good. This is how I always feel. So just let myself feel it. I already know this. Ooh, I'm psychologically getting myself ready for this. Like, are you like kind of going through, not going through the motions, but you're like, this is a part of the process. I'm embracing it. I don't need to be afraid of this, uh, you know, nerves because this is what I always go through before I do it. Yeah, it does get easier. But, you know, there's also things that, you know, you just are rookie mistakes that you you know you shouldn't do. Like when I was in Austin, right, uh, this is most recently, I was doing a theater. It was about an 800-seat theater. Uh, and I, I don't think it sold out, but it was very close to a sellout. And uh, so I'm doing that the next night. The night before, I'm doing the mothership. Uh, Joe Rogan's club, right? And then I go out with uh, with my friends and people on my team, and we eat uh, a ton of pizza. I eat, I ate so much food, so I'm there at the club and I'm so full, and now I'm nervous. The energy was not good backstage. I feel like there was a comic backstage that I bumped. Um, he got moved to the next show so I could take his spot. And so he was giving off a real negative energy and I'd never been to the club. So I'm just trying to be cool. And it's like such a negative vibe in the back in the green room that I'm like, all right, well, this is not fun. Um, because, you know, all these clubs like LA, New York, um, I imagine Chicago, I've not done a ton in their clubs. And then Austin, it seems is how they're doing it is you get a time when you're going to go up. 
like at Nash in Nashville, like the the Showtime new, Seven, the New Material Monday Showtime Seven. We all show up. We're hanging out in the green room. All the comics. We're talking to each other. We're laughing. We're joking. And these other clubs, uh, you know, there's like no one in the green room because people are just showing up for their time. the 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 vibe is never great because everybody it has such egos about themselves that it's like you can't just hang and laugh. So I'm back there. I'm like, I'm full. I'm a little nervous. And then not to mention, uh, I have on this particular trip, I have two guys that are opening for me at, at, at the theater the next night uh, in the audience. I have my one of my childhood friends in the audience. I have uh, agent uh, manager, two people from my management team uh, in the audience. Um, and I'm just like, so uh, if you bomb now, your whole crew looks like losers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't want that kind of pressure. I like to be in the club alone. I like to just do my own thing. And if I bomb, I bomb alone. Yeah. I never go with you to your big things. No, you don't need me hanging around you putting that extra weight in you. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like there's just different ways to prepare yourself, you know, and it's like that's the great thing about living in Nashville is like my my people from my team are, are live in LA. They're not around all the time. Now I do like it when they come, but when they come, there is an extra added pressure because I'm like I want they made a trip to see me. I want to yeah. look good for them. There's something real specific to an agent manager energy. Yes. And relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, you know, that, my man got that, got that agency energy coming in. Like I'll, when I do the Irvine, California uh, improv, my manager will always come there. And the sh if the show that she's at, I'm like, all right, this has got to be good. Let yeah. this be a good show. You yeah. know, like she's already in and she's got to know she manages a ton of comics. Sometimes we're going to have bad shows. She knows that. Yeah, but there's a little bit more pressure for you because she doesn't see you as often yeah. live. I'm so like, just she, let the she really needs that. That's her window into what you you've been up to yes so it better be something so nerves are always around and the nerves do get less i find because you know i'm just doing so much comedy but i do still get nervous in those cool moments and uh do you it, think you help this girl with your back and forth i think so i think sometimes i mean basically what she said to me was you know based on my response that it's just nice to know that other people are still having these kind of moments people that are more experienced um, I do think like a lot of success is predicated on your ability to work well under stress. Yeah. You know, we went out for dinner with your manager recently and he had been to a festival where they no longer do a contest. And he said, you know, because they decided that, you know, it's a lot of pressure to put on people to perform in this contest. And if they don't do good in the contest then they're bummed out all weekend. And I've done that festival in that contest many times so i do agree on just like a basic human level but in terms of like a uh, show business level i do think it's valuable to know if someone can perform under stress on um in high stakes because that's what you need to be able to do if you want to do the tonight show or or get a great netflix taping or you know work in television you know like you you have to be able to turn it on and do it really good yeah, I mean, it's true because there is no pressure quite like The Tonight Show or like I would say the first time I did The Tonight Show, I mean, I was a million times more nervous than I was to film my own special that I just filmed. Um, but, you know, also JFL, Just for Laughs, was 
at the time, the most pressure I had ever been under. I had to make several changes in, in my in my business life in order to make that happen. So I had a lot riding on it. Oh. Okay, Daisy. We'll get you one soon, okay? Just a minute. Oh, Daisy's coming in. Come on, uh, Bashk. She wants a popsicle. Come here. We got about 10 minutes left. We got a lot of, we had a lot of crying going on. And um, so it's so much pressure, JFL, because all of the industry in the world is in that room. And you're like, I could do well today. And they could all see me do well and be interested in me. Or I could bomb today and basically be forgotten and become maybe just a bad memory in their mind. Now, do you think about those things when you were doing it? Okay, honey. Let's go back in here, okay? You want me to get you? I'm going to get her a popsicle. All right, I do think about those things. Yeah, I mean, I do think about those things while I'm out there. I'm like, all right, this is a big moment. It matters. This is not this is not a comedy show that doesn't matter. And, you know, I'm sure some people's uh, maybe technique is to tell themselves that a big show doesn't matter to calm their nerves. But I don't really want to calm my nerves. And I had a guy, I had a friend named Justin Burke. I don't even know if he still plays music. I was trying to look him up the other day to see what he's up to, but I couldn't find anything. But he used to play uh, music, and he would tell me, he drank, and he smoked weed, but he would tell me he doesn't even like to have a beer before he goes up to play. He said because a beer helps to calm your nerves a little bit, uh, he said, but afterwards, this is a friend who said, uh, he said he didn't even like to have a beer before he would perform uh, music because he said, you know, the beer would help calm your nerves, but it would also deaden the good feeling after the show. Yeah. There really is something that when I got sober and I would go up on stage without having anything to drink and then the show went well, the way you feel after a show is so good. It is like a drug in a lot of ways. So the nerves are good. Embrace the nerves. All right, what's the thing? Okay, Dusty. So Dusty, you have been struggling for a few years now with intermittent bouts of vertigo. Well, yeah, I've had it twice. Um, I had it uh, for the first time, uh, and I didn't even really realize that's what it was, but it just hit me while I was in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, at uh, doing comedy. I showed up a day early, uh, showed up the night before, and then the next morning I was walking to get myself some coffee, and I just suddenly got real dizzy. Interesting. Now you said, it just hit me. What hit you? Just being dizzy. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, listen, I have read an article in the New Yorker, and I'm going to share a little bit of it and then I'm going to go into something that I think we need to do. So let me just share what this says. Oh, um, once you've been dizzy for a while, it can be hard to tell whether you're feeling better. As I got used to going about my daily activities, sometimes I'd ask myself, am I still dizzy or not? What does a non-dizzy state even feel like? Lately, I've come to think of dizziness itself as an absence, not a presence. It is the opposite of balance, the foil to knowing where your body is in space. 
Many things have to be working properly for you to feel balanced. Only one needs to malfunction to send your world spinning. My neurologist seemed to be suggesting that dizziness was more than a physical phenomenon. To understand it, I would need to think about what was going on in my head and my life. Based on my answers as well as my sensitivity to light, I could have a diagnosis. So Dusty, I think we need to look at this psychologically and we'd like, I'd like to do a little bit called, um, Dusty goes to therapy. I mean, I've gotten dizzier listening to this so far. (laughs) It's okay to deflect with humor, but I think if you really want to get to the soul of this problem, we need to get into your emotions and into your being. Well, all right. Um, you know, I would say the second time that I got vertigo, it, it was, uh, you know, we were. Um, I'll do the talking here. Listen, we right. need to go into childhood. All right. All right. No, no, okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I don't know what this bit is. I'm not trying to. No, I want to ask try, you. I just want to ask I don't, you. Some I'm trying to do this bit. Here. I just want to ask you some questions. Dusty, as a child. Do you recall that you would get extra lightheaded on the carousel or when you would play Ring Around the Rosie? No. Um, okay. My next question In was In fact, really, we would do the merry-go-round where yeah. you would get on it and people would run and spin you as fast as they possibly could. So what you're telling, what I'm hearing is that you didn't have any problems with dizziness as a child. In fact, I enjoyed dizziness. Sometimes I would spin myself around just to get dizzy. Okay. Now, what about as an adult, a young adult? Have you ever had any issues with heights? Um, no. I mean, one time I went to Six Flags and me and my friend went up in the parachutes and we had, we had told ourselves that when we get to the top of the parachutes, it's such a high ride that we're going to look for some of the other rides that we want to do when we get up there. And then we got up to the top and we were terrified. So we didn't look for anything, mm. but that's, that's about it. Terrified. Yeah. I mean, it's really high though. That's a strong emotion. It's really high. And you're just on some wooden seat. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder if there's some sort of metaphor to six flags. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dusty, then let's go to 2020 Utah where you experience your first bout of what you describe as real dizzy. Well, you know, let's just think about this. I mean, it's 2020. It's, uh, tell me what's going on in your life at this time. It's maybe May of 2020, potentially June. Um, it's probably June. Mm, that and changes a lot. We've all gone through something between March of 2020 and June of 2020. And I'm out in Salt Lake City, Utah, a free but state, a free let's, a, let's let's stop there. We've all gone through something. Can you go a little deeper than that? What have you gone through? What is that something yeah, okay. to you? Uh the government uh set a psychological warfare on all its citizens. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> made me feel uh <laughs> Yeah, it was terrible. You know, they ruined uh, a lot of people's small businesses. And uh, what about your small business? Well, I'm they shut- you really say you and them. Let's bring it to the individual. Well, they shut my business down, too, for a while. That for two hurt. months, I was not able to go out and make money. That must have really hurt you. 
And honestly, it was a bit of a break in the beginning. I had been working very hard and was really that the, the first weekend of shutdown, I was supposed to be off. The only show that I was going to do that weekend was the Grand Old Opry. And I was looking forward to the break. And then instead of just one weekend off, I got two months and I enjoyed it. We you had know, no kids back then. And we just were just, we were just freewheeling out here. Well, it's interesting that you say on your break, you ended up feeling dizzy because one only feels dizzy when the motion stops. Well, well, that I guess that is interesting, but I, I had been back to working. I had done three weekends. I had done a weekend in uh, uh, Dallas, Texas, a weekend in Huntsville, Alabama, and now a weekend in Salt Lake City, Utah. So your life has been forcibly put on pause by the government. Yes. Okay. And you're in some ways enjoying the break, but is there also a little bit of a listlessness Almost, and I don't want to put these emotions on you, but I'm going to about what your life holds for you now. Oh uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm like out doing gigs, but I'm also like the country will never like Salt Lake City was not the same. But I did not know that about Salt Lake City yet because I just arrived at night. But the world uh, would never be the same. So when you experienced this first bout of dizziness in Utah, what, what was preceding it the day before that, you know, it's a long plane ride, mm -hmm. higher altitude. Mm -hmm. I thought it might be just altitude sickness, mm -hmm. but it was a soul sickness. But I also thought it could be TikTok because I was new to TikTok at the time. Mm -hmm. And I would spend a lot of time swiping up, and my vision was almost like a TikTok swipe where it would, my vision would move all the way to the right and then correct itself and then move all the way to the right and then correct itself. So I could not focus on anything. I couldn't, you know, I, I would, I would just laid in the bed and I was like, I couldn't even really close my eyes because I would still be dizzy, but I couldn't really hold them open either. It was just such a weird sensation. And I was able to, I, I did eventually fall asleep and I woke up and I felt pretty good. That's interesting. So you wanted to shut it off, but yet you couldn't. Right. And I'm actually pretty disturbed by the fact that you thought it was some sort of TikTok induced dizziness, which I'm sure is a real thing. Yeah. Or it's about to be TikTok vertigo. Yeah. And so you. Only a matter of time. So you TikTok, experienced TikTok, your first TikTok. dizziness. That's a good joke. In the, you know, um, early days of the pandemic where life as we know it had been flipped upside down. Now, Dusty, I want to take you to... True. I never really put it in that context, but yeah, that is true. Yeah, I'm good at context. Yeah. Now I want to take you to June 2023. What's going on? Well, I'm about to have a baby. Okay. Actually, the um, night before I got vertigo, uh, you wake me up in the night and you go... Uh, I'm laying in bed and you go, I think I'm going into labor and I jump up and I start getting dressed. I load the car. You're like, oh no, I'm okay. 
So I lay back down and the next morning I wake up and I'm have vertigo. What does it feel like to know you're about to be a father again? What's going on with you in this well, prospect? I don't think that um, having the baby really made me nervous knowing that we're going to have another kid. I think it's going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. The hospital treats uh, everything uh, like it's some crisis. And it's like, yeah, having a baby's a big deal, but they act like, you know, you're having a heart transplant. Um, and it's just, it's so dramatic. And, uh, you know, I'm also putting this together now in 2020, when you had vertigo, we were on somewhat of a break from our regular life. Now you were at work in Utah, but you were, you had had a long break in June, 2023. You had also taken a lot of time off. That's true. Wow. And there was these changes that were kind of being thrust upon you. Yeah. That sort of disturbed your equilibrium. Don't take a break. Yeah. Or never stop. Yeah. Never stop because the world just keeps spinning around you. Allegedly. Okay. Now I got something else to share. This is also from the article. The experience of dizziness has been documented for thousands of years, and it's one of the most common complaints that bring people to the doctor. Even children can readily identify it. If you're old enough to play Ring Around the Rosie, you know what it feels like. Yet dizziness, like pain, isn't something that can be directly seen in an x-ray or MRI. It must be described by the person who feels it in terms of vertigo and lightheadedness. Never seem to capture the entire experience or how profoundly it can unsettle us. Even doctors break down dizzy spells into a staggering number of mythic-sounding categories, many of which are poorly understood labyrinthesis, mal de barracamont, benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, Meniere's disease, vestibular neuritis, vestibular migraine. So, the well, word vertigo comes from the Latin word verite, which means to turn. Another word, caligo, describes dizziness as that came from feelings of exaltation or losing one's grip on reality. Dizziness was understood as an emotional state as well as a physical one. And I think that's what we've uncovered today, Dusty. Well, I do think it's interesting. I, I, I like that you pointed out that it cannot be um, detected on an x-ray because I do think that's interesting because that I've been trying to write a joke about it. Like I'm saying um, that it's like, you know, it's like if you have a broke leg, everybody can see that your leg is broken. But in order that no one can see that you're dizzy. They, like, they don't even have any way to test for it. No. This article, this woman who wrote it ended up going to Germany to some special dizzy hospital that they're trying to like find the little crystal or the hormone that they think is the culprit behind it. But this woman seems to have uncovered that while it is, you know, you, you might have a physical dispensation for it or hereditary, uh, you know, means to getting it, but also it is emotional. Sorry about the F-bomb. 
<laughs> so caffeinated. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so caffeinated. I mean, just drop an F-bomb. I know. Shit. It feels so good to drop an F-bomb, though, when you just need to. Um, I'll probably have to try to edit that out. Yep. Sorry about that. Six years ago, this is anecdotal. Six years ago, on his family's land in Indiana, the author John Green cleared, cleared a straight... Uh, cleared a trail straight through the woods near his house. He dug up honeysuckle and ivy, laid down a bed of wood chips, and lined the way with bricks. A week later, his balance failed. The world began to roll and spin, he wrote in an essay about the experience. I was suddenly a very small boat in a very high seas. He was diagnosed with labyrinthus and needed six weeks to recover. According to a video that Green made, dizziness pushed him to re-examine his life. Hmm. That's what I've been trying to push you towards, Dusty. He decided to stop pursuing projects with only money in mind and focus on what he was passionate about. It's tempting to make labyrinthus a metaphor, Green wrote. I spent a month drawing a straight line of a trail only to be told that life is never simple paths, only dizzying labyrinths folding in on themselves. You weren't listening, were you? Now, I've kind of checked out of this uh, vertigo thing. Um, Well, that's nice. uh, Yeah. Well, it just it just went on and on for me. Well, I think that you should meditate on six flags. What is the depth of that labyrinth? Six flags. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like there's people that talk about wanting to go back to their childhood and, and, and uncover Freud, uh, traumatic events that yeah. happen in order to, uh, uh, clear up their lives. And I don't know that I want to go into that. I'm like, I feel like if my mind shut it down, let it shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to close your eyes and retrieve that memory like I did. Now I'm going to be haunted by all my road gigs for the rest of the afternoon. Yeah. I wanted to. Um, you know, I, I should. I should tend to the sun, though. All right. The, it's, let's, it's, just, let's just end with this. This, right. this. this couple, Michelle and Tim, they sent me this thing a long time ago, and I had forgotten about it, and I just remembered it today. And they were driving through uh, somewhere around, uh, uh, in between Idaho and Washington, and they came across a town called Dusty. And they sent a bunch of pictures of the town called Dusty. Now, it seems mostly abandoned, but there's a Dusty Tower, a Dusty Cemetery, um, a Dusty Cafe. Dusty Brothel. A Dusty Country Store. I don't see a Dusty Brothel, but I just... um, I just want because they sent it twice because they said they sent it the first time when we were having our son and they were like probably the worst possible time to send it. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Let them know I got the email. I do get all the emails. I don't always respond and I don't always share them, but I do get them all and I appreciate you sending them. We got a lot of Adam and Eve emails and I want to get into some more Genesis stuff, but I don't have my question quite queued up. I didn't get a lot of emails in response to my uh, parting of the Red Sea, like passing through the blood, but that's okay. I didn't really ask a question, I guess. Uh, I am going to try to ask more questions because I liked getting people's responses to those. And thank you for this vertigo thing, Hannah. Hey, don't stop. Don't stop moving, Dusty. Yeah. Because things could get dizzy. I mean, I got into it, but the New Yorker, I find the way they write articles, the way they read back, it just Make you dizzy. gets a little pretentious after a while where it's just like, all right, we're dizzy and we don't know why.
Yeah. But it does make me feel good to know that um, it's such a weird thing to have vertigo because you truly are just dizzy and there's no explanation for it. And they say there's crystals in your ears, but as you say, they may not even be able to locate the crystals. Well, once you're ready to look inside yourself and go back into your childhood, I think you might just get an explanation, Dusty. But as long as you j- keep projecting with humor and ignoring me uh, and this this conversation, you're never going to know why these dizzy spells creep up on you. And if that's the way you need it to be to function in life, well, hallelujah. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm.